Hi, everybody. This is Kevin Stevenson, and welcome to today's episode of I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson. Alongside me is my faithful sidekick, my, I don't know, what am I going to call you today? Yeah, whatever. My Alfred. Always Alfred. Always Alfred. When in doubt, Alfred. Tyler Kern. Tyler, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Good. Thanks for having me. Hey, of it's course. Good to be here. Yeah. It, it, well, I, I can't do this without you. <laughs> because remember, we tried last week and, nah. you know, anyway, we're not even going to go there. We'll, so, we'll, we'll let Ben off the We'll hook. let Ben off the hook this time. So today, we've got a really interesting show. All right. Okay. Tell me about it. Okay. We're going to talk about healing environments and healthcare. Interesting. What does that mean to you? Well, man, that's a big question. To right. me, to me, it's I always think about the, the various things around you that have an effect on your health, whether you know it or not. Great. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, I think that's a good explanation. Uh, that's just going to start the discussion today, I bet, with our guest. Our guest today is Dr. Susan Mazur, and she's with uh, uh, Healing Healthcare Systems. A uh, little backstory on Susan. She and, I, she and I worked together about 19 years ago when I was with a hospital in Nebraska, and um, we were creating an incredible project that really ramped up all of the, you know, the, the environment it was really a, you know, to think about it, it was kind of a precursor to population health today, but uh, uh, a lot of teaching, a lot of uh, just really focusing on on the whole person. And so um, our, Susan is also a very, very accomplished harpist. Interesting. Uh, on top of all of the work that she does. We don't does many harpists these We don't days. talk to many harpists uh, today, so... She and her husband, uh, Dallas Smith, um, helped us create a CD of, uh, of really tremendous music. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was entitled Crossroads of the Heart, and uh, I think we're going to play one of the songs uh, today uh, yeah. on the podcast, just to let everybody hear you know, uh, uh, just a sample of that. So yeah. whenever we come back, uh, we're going to have Dr. Susan Mazur on with us on I Don't Care. Today's content is brought to you by MarketScale. Do you run a B2B business? Nobody creates more podcasts, videos, case studies, and blogs for B2B marketers like you than MarketScale. Ask us how we can help you today. Okay, welcome back to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson. And we've got an incredibly interesting guest, uh, uh, Dr. Susan Mazur. Uh, Susan has been uh, in healthcare for over 30 years. She has her PhD in human and organizational development. And Susan's the president and CEO of Healing Healthcare Systems. And uh, so, Susan, welcome to uh, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Kevin. It's been a long time. We were just talking a second ago. Uh, it's been about uh, 19 years since we spoke last. We uh, you know, we, we did a little bit of work together back in, in my Nebraska days, and so uh, it's great to hear from you again. And so uh, so let's just get started, okay? Great. Okay. First question I have is is talk to us a little bit about how, how a healing environment within the hospital really contributes to the overall patient experience. Okay, I'm going to back into the question. Perfect. Uh, because um, the environment is what it is. Okay. 
So there isn't a patient or or any staff member or any family member that will come into the hospital and not experience some kind of environment with some kind of emotional affect permeating it. So that means that if the environment is not positive, supportive, comforting, stress-reducing, welcoming, if it doesn't soften the assault of foreign languages, foreign people you don't know, uh, care about what might be going on or what is going on, then what is it doing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Sure. Then what is the... Because there is... there Even where you're sitting right now, the environment in which you and I are hearing each other, mm-hmm. I'm in Reno, Nevada, you're in Dallas, Texas, that environment informs how we enter the conversation. If it was noisy and chaotic and cluttered, that would affect whether you can comfortably sit into this unknown experience of a podcast that's unrehearsed. <laughs> and, Very unrehearsed, and for, I might add. I, right. I might add. Yeah. So uh, I think that there is um, there's a myth that you don't really have to deal with it. But if you don't design the environment, the environment will design you. Interesting. Okay. So let's go back historically. So let's go back to the Asclepian temples. This is about the time of Socrates. And I mean, we're talking really, really, really long time ago. Long time ago. Okay. The only technology that they had at that time to comfort the sick was the environment. It was about exposure to nature, clean air. They may have started using herbs. They may have used drama, something to comfort and relieve fear. They also had a lot of mythology about it, meaning that there may have been a belief system saying, you're sick because of this, but you're going to heal because of this. But it was not based on the scientific method because that had not yet been developed. Okay. So now let's fast forward to about the 17th century. And at that time, uh, we're already kind of in enlightenment and more recent thinking. And the scientific method had kind of taken root about looking for empirical evidence by observation of what the laws of nature are. But it was never, and to this day, is not exact. It's more about a pattern of what might be happening. And, of course, all the studies we currently have are continually being debunked because someone came to a conclusion too soon. And then as the studies get replicated, as one scientist or a group of scientists publish outcomes of a study, other scientists do exactly the same study and may come up with different results. Mm -hmm. So... Now in the 17th century, we have philosophy, not just religion and mythology. So Rene Descartes was the one who said, I think, therefore I am. And he posited, theorized, that the mind, which is non-physical, you can't locate it, you can't touch it, and the body, which is mechanistic, are distinct and do not influence each other. Mm, Okay. That was the beginning of the mind-body problem. 
And that led to, for so many years, so many years, doctors would say, well, this is psychosomatic. You just think you're sick because I couldn't find evidence of illness. Well, the truth of it is, finally in the 21st century, we have merged them. And in the middle between the mind and the body is the patient's lived experience and the human experience. Mm -hmm. And right now, today, we're finally merging them. And that's why we're talking about social determinants of health. That's why we're talking about an epidemic of loneliness as a as informing long-term and short-term health outcomes. Mm -hmm. That's why we're talking about, and studies have been done on optimism that showed that, a, that an individual's heart disease, if they're optimistic, will live longer and have better outcomes than one who's pessimistic. Mm -hmm. So, but that's been a long progression. In the middle of that, we have Florence Nightingale who came into it and her whole nursing theory, which began the field of professional nursing, was based on the power of the environment to impact the patient's own capacity to recover. So this tiny little book she wrote mm. called Notes on Nursing, mm -hmm. published in 1860, which you can get, it's free on Google, because it's copyright laws didn't exist, or it's three <laughs> bucks on Amazon. She outlines what happens if a patient is cold or hungry or distressed or they, they're constantly anticipating the nurse to show up or the doctor, but nothing is on time and they're in a constant state of anxiety. Or they're not observed closely and they go to bed at night and die in the morning because somebody missed something. Mm -hmm. Because her whole nursing theory is about observing the patient 24 hours a day about providing an environment that allows the body to heal, for nature to do its work, and to document the process. And that theory is still good today. Right. All other nursing theories followed hers. Mm -hmm. So now let's talk about the conversation about the healing environment. If you look at hospitals today, um, hospital-borne infections, hospital uh, errors, medication errors, um, patient falls, um, errors in surgical stuff. I mean, all that is about the environment. Mm -hmm. All of it. Correct. So we now have hospitals that have ventilation systems that are closed, circular air, where she would have said, open the windows. We don't open the windows. We have recirculating air and we have hospital-borne infections because everybody's breathing the same air. We don't change the sheets except as needed. When she would have said, you must change the sheets every day because the patient sweats at night, they have perspiration, they will reinfect themselves. We, um, we have visiting hours, we don't have visiting hours, we have televisions that now broadcast the worst of humankind in the news every day, bombings, violence, political disputes that we have no control over, causing great anxiety, but that's not yet considered a risk factor hmm. for patients, which it is. We have noise levels that we already know is the primary reason for sleep deprivation, which 
leads to a whole series of, of physiological outcomes. So we have forgotten. We have just forgotten because we have just based everything on medication and technology. Okay. Okay. Does I'm, that help you? Uh, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you, that you brought up social determinants of health. That was a topic that we talked about oh, uh, a number of weeks back and, and talked about how, how everything that, that the patient encounters physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually affects how they are going to go about the healing process. So, so it's nice to know that, that we're on the same page on that. That's, tr that's tremendous. Well, that it's taken everyone so long mm -hmm. right. to identify it is absurd. Right. Right. We've known for a long time that families that are in a state of poverty or experience um, fears of food scarcity, don't have enough money to provide primary care, they don't have prenatal care. We know they have shorter lives mm -hmm. and they have far more chronic conditions. We've well, known it for decades. Well, and that's exactly right because you know, if somebody doesn't have the funds to to go or, or to have a, a consistent primary care physician where that they can develop a long-term relationship so that, that that doctor can can really know that person well, they show up in the ER episodically. And, and That's so, right. And so not only does that drive up the overall cost uh, of healthcare, but it also takes away, again, that relationship uh, between patient and primary care physician that is so vital to, to everyone. So... Uh, you made a you made an interesting comment that I read uh, on your website. You were talking about how how th the patient experience is local, and, and you've touched on a little bit about that. But but I'm interested to to hear a little bit more about that. Okay, so let's create this scenario. The scenario is: I wake up in the morning. I have excruciating pain in my right or left side, whichever the side is for the appendix. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not a doctor, <laughs> so I don't know which side it is. I'm not, I'm not either, but I play one on okay. TV. Okay. Whatever, it's the appendix side. Okay, there you but go. But I don't know, it's, I, I don't even think about that. All I know is that I can't stand up. I start vomiting. Um, I have a fever. So my husband rushes me into first urgent care. Right, because we never think it's, we always think urgent care can take care of it. Of course. I sit there for an hour and a half. They said, no, you have to go to the hospital. So I, again, we go into the car. In the meantime, I'm in worse pain. Get to the hospital. I'm in the ER, doubled up in pain. And, and as I sit there, there are lots of other people in the emergency room, waiting room. Or there's no one else there. So it depends on where you live. If you're in a rural community and it's a weekday, there may be nobody there. If you're in New York City, Detroit, Houston, they have people there 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there and, and my husband's looking around and he goes up and registers and they say, okay, answer these questions and we'll call you. Now sometimes they'll say, we have a guarantee 15 minutes. Well, they get you in in 15 minutes, but then you have to wait another hour and a half till a physician comes in. Uh-huh. Right? You get through one door, uh -huh. but there are many more doors. So as we're sitting there, my lived experience, what I'm experiencing as the patient, first of all, I have a lot of pain. I'm around people I don't know. 
um, the person who Dallas, my husband, talks to does not indicate they care about my suffering. They are totally in this bureaucratic, protocol-driven system. They're not doing anything right. In fact, they're doing everything right according to the system in which they work. So I'm in this emergency room. They have no blankets. They don't have any water. The television is on the news. We're panicked. I'm worse. And and we ask for help, and they kind of bring us a blanket. There are no pillows, but something happens. There is nothing in my life but the pain, the room, mm-hmm. the neglect, the fear. It doesn't matter what the hospital mission is. It doesn't matter what kind of patient experience committee they have. It doesn't matter what kind of training they have. All I know is what I'm living in that moment. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's why it's local. That's that's very true. I mean, it's local. It's local. It's personalized to every person. So very and interesting. it's immediate. It's yes. about immediacy. Yes. So, um, as you know, we produce the Care Channel, mm-hmm. which. Um, yeah, let's Dallas, talk about that. That's that's. I, okay. I've always found well, that this will kind of. Yeah, so the Care Channel is in Baylor. Okay. It's in um, Harrison. I'm trying to think of the hospital, the big hospital oh. in Harris. In, pro- uh, probably Texas Health Harris. Right. Okay. It's um, and several. I mean, we've got a lot of hospitals in Texas. Okay. So our commitment in providing this 24-hour um, channel, this pure nature, no commercials, no talking. No advertising, nothing but pure, stunning landscapes and instrumental music that is um, not biased to a generation, ethnic group, um, demographic group, which is how the music and radio industry separate (laughs) populations and how they program. And and Susan, if I may interject something here, this is, for our listeners, this is really how you and I got together back many years ago uh, in the creation of a... uh, a healthy living center, healthy, uh, healthier environments at, at a hospital where I worked in Nebraska. Uh, we actually commissioned you and your husband Dallas uh, to uh, uh, write and and create a CD for those of you uh, in my audience less than thirty years old. It's kind of like uh, uh, it's how we used to get music years ago. But anyway. Uh, it's uh, it was a CD of healing music, and and I'll tell you, Susan, I still listen to that almost twenty years later. It's it was amazing. So so thanks for letting me jump in there. I appreciate that, and and that CD is still available. You can download it. Um, the music is on the Care Channel, but it's mm-hmm. not the only music because we have eighty four hours of HD oh. content. So it's definitely not just us. We have fifty other artists, musicians who contribute. And get royalties from the care from the care channel, but more importantly, the care channel, because of what it is, and it's not to eliminate any other choice the patient has for what they want to watch. Mm-hmm. But if you're really, really sick, like I just described, Fox News, ESPN, uh, any of the comic series, any of the any of the kind of news stuff probably won't help you. Right, right. Right? So 
that's why we provide the care channel. It's an alternative to all the stuff that works at home, but in this moment in time, you need something that's going to really comfort you. That's right. And also create a space for you to rest. And, and if you can look at the monitor, it is absolutely breathtaking landscapes. It is not a travelogue. In fact, we don't put any locations on it because it could be anywhere. Um, and it does change over the day-next cycle. At night, we have a midnight star field that is stunning. Hmm. But the goal is to penetrate into that immediate lived experience. Not to be a decoration on the wall, but because music and nature really penetrates into the immediacy of our experience and pull the patient out of the fear of the technology around them, the IVs, the testing, the banter, hmm. to, to remind them of what is most beautiful in art and living and giving them something else to focus on. As you said, you know, try to elicit a much more positive environment because positive feelings help people heal. Well, that and also um, the theory of positive distractions came through um, environmental psychology. Okay. And uh, gate control theory, which was developed by Melzack and Wall about 1965, it was a theory that says that pain, the experience of pain goes through the central nervous system first, and then eventually will reach our brain, and when it reaches our brain, we then assign meaning to it, and the brain will tell us whether it hurts, whether it doesn't hurt, what it means, and and this theory, Melzack's theory said, if you focus only on the pain, it's going to feel worse. Mm-hmm. If you can distract yourself, watch a movie, hold a kitty, hold a baby, do anything else, the pain will lessen because we can only focus on one thing at a time. Even though many so, of us think we can multitask, I, I totally Well, we don't, we don't multitask. What we do is a lot of things very fast <laughs> in true. sequence. It may feel like we're multitasking, but it's a myth. Yeah, you're right. But My wife tells me that all the time. That I can't. Yeah, well, wait. Uh, yeah, well, I can't do it anymore either. <laughs> Maybe I take my work more uh, seriously. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm thinking uh, that when it comes to looking at what really will help the family and the patient, it's creating an environment that will relieve their anxiety that will bring them something that reminds them of what's most beautiful in life. It's not going to remove all of it, but it will not make it worse. And it will represent the nurse who's not in the room, the doctor who's mm-hmm. not in the room. It will make more effective pain medication and anxiety medication. In fact, we've gotten feedback that they didn't need so much pain medication that they could sleep because they had something to accompany them. They didn't wake up to this silence filled with random erratic sounds that they didn't couldn't recognize because they weren't home. Sure, sure. Okay. So, well, does that help? That is fantastic, Susan. And uh, we are we are bumping up against the end of the show, but I just wanted to thank you for your insights on on healing environments and. Uh, 
we're going to have you back on because you've got a lot of other topics that we really want to address. And so with that, uh, our guest today has been Dr. Susan Mazur, uh, President and CEO of the Healing Healthcare Systems. Susan, again, thanks so much for coming on, and you'll be getting another call from us to, to be on again very soon. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate you asking. All right. Take care. Have a good day. Okay. Bye. Have you ever thought to yourself, podcasts are pretty cool. I should use one to market my company. Good news. You're not alone. But where do you start? MarketSkills Thought Leadership Club makes it easy to dive into the world of B2B podcasting. With in-house podcast production, audio hosting, and more, MarketScale can be your podcast partner that sets you up as a thought leader in your industry, creating the content that powers B2B. For more information, head to MarketScale.com and find out what thousands of companies already know to be true, that podcasting is the future of thought leadership in B2B marketing. Wow, Tyler, uh, Susan was pretty incredible, right? Oh man, that was that was amazing. Like I, I, I think my initial thought about this was like healing environments. Okay, like what are we going to be talking about? Bringing puppies yeah. into? Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, she talked about petting kitties. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Hey. Yeah, yeah. But it was so much more than that. So right. much deeper than that. I yeah, think. it really that was, was. Really impressive. It really was. So, so yeah, we're definitely going to have Susan back on. She's got a oh, yeah. wide variety of experience in in just the patient experience mm-hmm. in healing environments, and so really excited about that. Well, at the top of the show, we talked a little bit about uh, the CD that, yeah. that they created for for me years ago, uh, called Cross, Crossroads of the Heart. And so, uh, you know, I think we're just gonna we're gonna play the title track from that and kind of kind of play us out of the show today. But uh, thanks again, Tyler, for always keeping me in line. Always happy to be here. Well, you know, if you're not here, I'm not in line. <laughs> so, so uh, everybody, thanks again for tuning in to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson, and we'll talk to you next week. You're listening to MarketScale, the leader in B2B content creation. There are few tech acronyms I despise more than IoT, and few technologies that promise more than the Internet of Things. I'm Jerry Mecca, and this is the Mecca Minute. The Internet of Things foretells a time when sensors everywhere form an artificial intelligence charge network that learns and adapts to the benefit of all. Sounds wonderful. I do hope that someone comes up with a better name. Self-driving cars, smart cities, animal and raw material tracking, as well as many other applications exist. But for the moment, just think about smart homes. In smart homes, owners get a range of benefits from increased security to cost savings. For example, rooms can be air conditioned based on exterior temperature, And more importantly, they form a cloud-based brain that learns how the home behaves for its residents and adjusts accordingly. Imagine if a stranger tries to enter your home through an unlocked door you meant to lock. Instead, the doorknob recognizes that it's not your biometric hand signature and locks it, keeping you out of harm's way. 
Of course, there are the usual security and privacy concerns, but due to high-speed computers, the cloud, along with encryption, it's possible for us to protect and connect with IoT. I'm Jerry Mecca, and this has been the Mecca Minute. Do you need more video content for your website and marketing channels? Want to create your own company podcast? MarketScale partners with companies to create the B2B content they need. Ask us how today.